Well, welcome. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Might be online or might be here for the first time. There are a lot of things happening in the church. What Carl just laid out for us is just a, a smidgen if I can use that word, a smidgen of what's actually happening in the life of the church, but there's many opportunities for you to connect with people, get engaged a little bit further. You can get a lot of information about that at the Connection Center in the lobby. So after service, if you can make your way there, that would be fantastic. And the team there would love to answer questions that you might have about us. Just a couple things before we get into the word this morning. Uh, Last fall, if you were with us in September, we uh, initiated a, a a campaign to raise $750,000. It was called Seek First. So we studied generosity together, and we asked that the church uh, give sacrificially to, to meet a, a goal that we had of $750,000. Uh, and in that, if you, you may visualize in your mind some of the projects that we had on that priority list at the time, uh, because of your generosity and some big gifts and, and increased giving, we were able to raise just about $335,000, obviously short of what we wanted, but we're very appreciative for the sacrifices that many of you made to participate in that. As we look at those, those capital expense priorities that we had, one of the biggest, one of the top uh, items was the air conditioning system in this building. Uh, and some of you have experienced the grief of that as it comes in, it feels a little bit warm, or some of the classrooms are maybe not as cool as we'd like them to be. And so we're going to target that as our first project. Uh, the cost for all of this air conditioning in this building, all the units and smaller units, is about $475,000. So we're going to move that three thirty-five dollars towards that. We're going to use some of our reserve, uh, reserves money to finish off that, off that project and then reprioritize uh, some of the other things that we had uh, on that list. I know some of you gave particularly for something on that list. Uh, the elders and I would love to hear about that particular gift. We generally do not take designated gifts for particular things because sometimes those leashes get a little bit hard to manage on the administrative side, but we do want to honor your particular request if you were wanting to give something. So please talk to us. We'd love to address those one-on-one with you, but uh, we're going to be moving forward on replacing the air conditioning systems in this building, and it's primarily because of the generosity from the church. So thank you for that. Again, I want to mention what Carl did, that the Ask Pastor Matthew time is, it's, it's really fun for me. It's not fun because I'm sitting on the stage answering questions. It's fun for me because I get to know you. And as we go forward together, uh, it's important for us to create a dialogue between people, uh, that it's not Pastor Matthew up here, uh, it's not the elders and staff up here and the, and the people below, it's us moving together towards Christ-likeness, which is what we talked about last week. And these conversations are important for all of us, as we get to know each other, get on the same page and begin thinking about the same things as we move forward into the future. So I hope you join us today, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock, uh, in the dining room. There's great refreshments for us and a very casual, low-key time just to talk together. So I encourage you to take note of that. Last week, we set off on a series called Elements, where during this time together, these six weeks between now and the week before Palm Sunday, we're going to take a look at some of the fundamental components that make up a church. Now, last week we talked about discipleship, and if we're using the analogy of the periodic table in chemistry, it's well and good to look at the individual elements that are on that periodic table because each of them is important, but when you start adding them together in compounds, that's where some magical things happen. Examples, if you take oxygen, it's, it's good, it's important. If you take hydrogen, It's good, but when you put it together, 
you get water, right? And we cannot live without water. So you take the simple element of hydrogen, the simple element of oxygen, married together in that attraction that they create, that God has created, and voila, water. Another example, sodium, good. Chlorine, good. But sodium and chlorine together, we get popcorn and we get potato chips and we get salted caramel and we get all these wonderful things that make salt so fantastically wonderful and horrible for our hearts. (laughs) But it's the compound of the elements that we want to eventually see as God moves our minds together forward. As we think about how the element of discipleship might be married up with some of the elements that we'll talk about over the five remaining weeks. This morning we look at a second element, and that element is worship. The element is worship. Last week we talked about discipleship being the element that drives us as Christians in everything we do. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, our goal is to be like Christ. And so in the element of discipleship, we focus on growing towards Christ-likeness together. When we look at the element of worship, we see an element that is actually bigger, more vast, and older than the element of discipleship. Because the element of worship was established and infused into all of creation. Because we were created from day one to worship. We were created on day one to honor the Lord God, to do what is pleasing to him, to adore and exalt his name and his character and his centrality over all things in everything we do. That was the the heartbeat, the driving element of initial creation. And so this morning, we're going to look at the element of worship with regards to our interactions as Christians. And I want to think about the phrase, we are pleasing God together. When we think about worship, we are pleasing God together. First, I want to look at the priority of worship. The Westminster Catechism is a There's a longer and a shorter version written back in the 1600s. It's a series of questions and answers that are very helpful for us as Christians to kind of consider. In the shorter shorter catechism, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer? See, some of you are very good, high church people. (laughs) To glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man, the chief end of man is to glorify God. The created purpose of all of creation, not just humanity, all of creation is to adore, worship, honor, and exalt our creator, our maker. When I was a kid, I remember fondly sitting in the back seat, rust orange leather, Cadillac DeVille of my grandparents. And I remember back in those days when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt, children always wear seatbelts, but you didn't have to back in those days. And so I'd prop myself up and I would look out the back window and I got to the point where I could identify the make of a car by its headlights. Are you thoroughly impressed? (laughs) I hope you are because I've been really trying to, I've been using this for the right time. I was able to look and see the shape, the size, the distance from each other, what the lights around it looked like. I could, do, I could do a pretty good job of identifying the maker of the car by the lights as they drove towards me in the night. 
And I was thinking about that with regards to worship. That is exactly what our life should be to the world. The world should be able to see us and identify our maker without much thought. They should be able to identify the one that created us because of the qualities that we show, because of the nature that we exude from our very presence. It was in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 that God says, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he then created them, male and female, he created them in his own image. We are made as a reflection of the very image of God. And as we go throughout our days, as we make decisions at work, as we raise our children, as we interact with our spouses, as we, as we go through just the course of our daily boring days, we are image bearers of the Lord God. And in that ought to reflect his character, his nature. We ought to worship him just in our existence. Why? Because we're image bearers of the Lord God. Sometime earlier in February, I finished my reading of the Bible for the year, and I started over, and I'm making headlong progress towards uh, the book of Leviticus. And I like the book of Leviticus because it's, it's complicated, and it's, it, it's describing a life that we don't, we don't experience. I mean, you and I have no experience in waking up in the morning, grabbing a couple doves, going and waiting in line, watching them broken and burned. We don't, we don't think in terms of taking our grain to the temple and watching, it, uh, watching the smoke go into the sky. We don't think in those terms. But that's the sacrificial system that the Lord established when he gave the people the tabernacle. And he said, if you want to come worship me, if you want to come honor me, do these things. And there's a lot of detail and I, I, I read some of the chapters, I'm like, God, is this really necessary? But this phrase repeats throughout, especially when talking about the burnt offerings and the incense. And it talks about an aroma that's pleasing to the Lord. And somehow, in the act of sacrifice, God is pleased with the obedience. That God finds aroma not just in the sight, but in the smell of the offering. And I think, how pleasing popcorn is to smell. And why in the world does Disney get me every time with 8 o'clock in the morning, popcorn's brewing, and I, or my brewing popping, and I'm ready to get popcorn. I haven't even had my Starbucks yet. How is that? Because there's something pleasing about the aroma of popcorn. And somehow, God's word says that our sacrifices, our worship is pleasing to the Lord God. So are we pleasing the Lord together? It is a priority for us. The way that we go about our day is a reflection of him. When people look at us, they ought to see the Lord God. Jesus says, let your light shine before men in what? In such a way that they may see your good works and do what? Say, wow, you're a great guy. No, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as people see us living, they ought to see Christ. And in seeing Christ, they ought to glorify God. So the priority of worship in my life is not just that I worship God, but that others see me and they worship God because of me. Worship, the element of worship, is a priority in our lives. Turn with me to the book of Acts. We've been using Acts 1 to 6 as a, uh, the context and I told you at the outset of the series that we're not going to go verse by verse through this, 
My habit in preaching is to go verse by verse through books of the Bible, but I wanted to start on this topical study first because I think these elements are important for us to think about as a church as we begin our life together. This series will take us to Palm Sunday, and we'll have a time of reflection during that last week of Christ's life, and then we're going to start the Gospel of John, and we'll be doing verse by verse of the Gospel of John. So that would be our regular diet But I want this to be uh, the context, chapters 1 to 6, and I hope some of you have picked up the challenge of actually reading this passage over and over and over again during your own time this week. But as I was reading it, one phrase jumped out at me that I didn't recognize from Acts chapter 4 before. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, Paul, or excuse me, Peter and John are in the temple, and there's a man, and he says, uh, he's begging, right? And and Peter and John turn to him as he's begging them at at the temple, And Peter says, and we can sing it, silver and gold have I none, right? But such as I have, I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ, what? Stand up and walk. This man stands and walks and he's leaping and shouting. He's praising God for the great work that had been done in his heart. And the religious leaders become jealous and they take Peter and John into custody and they question them. But in the middle of their questioning, Luke records this for us in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, that they, and they were astonished at this, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The religious leaders had recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Remember last week in talking about discipleship, Jesus called the 12 to him so that what? Mark says, so that they might be with him. Now others are recognizing that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Now, they're not at the place in their hearts where they're worshiping, but they're at least recognizing the element of worship is a priority for us in that we need others to recognize Christ in us so that they might glorify God through us. And as you carry on in chapter 4, it says that all of the people were praising God for what had happened. Worship was actually happening. Peter and John, the power of the Spirit through them was healing. People saw that. They recognized God. They recognized them having been with Christ, and they were now honoring the Father. They were worshiping the Father. They were doing what was pleasing to the Father. The priority of worship in our lives ought to think, uh, we have to think fundamentally in our lives about this. As we go through our days, we ought to be thinking about how can I please God? Maybe it shouldn't be WWJD. Maybe it should be WWPG. What would please God here? Let's look at some of the particulars of worship. Some particulars of worship. Whereas worship is maybe one of the most uh, far-reaching, vast, fundamental elements of the Christian church, we have refined it down to a very small cubbyhole of music. And when we talk about worship, we are usually talking about, in our minds, collectively, in a culture, we are talking about singing. We call this a worship center. We call this the worship team. We call Pastor Clay the worship pastor. There's a genre of music that is Christian worship. We have restricted it down to a music set. And I would want to challenge us to kind of 
let our minds just kind of open up to the vastness of our priority of worship in our personal lives and in our communal lives. I want to touch briefly and personally because as, as worshipers, there is a personal element to this, certainly. We need to, in our personal lives, please God, but I want to think about worship in different ways than music this morning, just to kind of open our minds to the possibility of a wider definition. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is challenging us to be selfless in the way that we interact with each other uh, with regards to opinions and uh, acts of conscience. If we were to go around the room and take a survey of the things we believe in, the things that we, are right, we see as right and wrong, the things we do not and do do from a religious perspective, we would have some disagreements. Can anybody agree with that? Or you disagree with that? Oh, man, that's, that's right. There's disagreements and disagreements all over the place. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 14 is that I have to be sensitive to what is a conviction of yours because even if it's not a conviction of mine, but it causes you to fall and sin, I sin through it. So me not doing something, excuse me, me doing something that I am not convicted that's wrong, me doing something that I have a clear conscience about, if it causes you to stumble, it's sin to me. Why? Because it's unloving towards you. And if you just, if you allow your mind to think about what that actually means, we ought to be very sensitive and responsive to each other in the way that we interact in the areas of disagreement. Because I am responsible somehow for what we disagree on. And I need to let that rest in my spirit. But Paul says something with regards to pleasing the Lord. Having talked about, and in the middle of talking about the fact that we ought to be sensitive to one another, he says, for the kingdom of God, in verse uh, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, meaning those who are sensitive to each other in these areas, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. So I can be pleasing to God by being sensitive to you. I can worship by being pleasing. I can worship God by being sensitive in the way that we live one in another. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Peter or Paul is talking about prayer. He's talking about praying for kings and praying for those in authority. And he says, this is, a good, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. Now, oftentimes we jump to the end of that verse and we say, well, obviously God just wants everybody to be saved and that makes him happy. No, the this is good and pleasing part is living in peace and tranquility with the people around us. And it's talking about governments, kings, those in authority over us. For Paul, our worship includes living at peace with our neighborhood, living at peace with our community, living in a way where we're not at friction or at odds with them. And in that, we can be pleasing to God, and by being pleasing to God, we are worshiping. The element of worship touches even the, fact, the way that we live with our neighbors. I always wondered, going back to Leviticus and thinking about the sacrificial system, it seems like some, in some ways that would be an easier way to worship God. Because it's more 
It's more tactile. You can grab a lamb and take the lamb. You can grab an animal. You can take a basket of grain, and it's very participatory in that way. And I wonder, after the sacrificial system kind of went by the side and Christ satisfied all of those things, what is left of sacrifice? The writer of Hebrews picks it back up in, in Hebrews chapter 10, and he speaks, not 10, 10, 13, and he speaks about the offering of our lips is pleasing to the Lord. That our, our words of praise is now coming into the singing element, because we can sing our words of praise, we can speak our words of praise, we can pray our words of praise, but in so doing, we are offering praises that are pleasing to the Lord. All of these are individual ways or personal ways that we can offer ourselves to the Lord. Remember, Paul writes that we ought to not be conformed, but be transformed. This is our spiritual service of worship. But I want to focus more of our time this morning on how we worship, particularly as a community, in our communal worship of the Lord. Together, we are not only pursuing Christ-likeness together, we are pleasing God together. In a world where we are increasingly about me, the me-ness of this world matters more than the we-ness of us. This, what we're doing this morning, kind of drops down further and further on the priority scale in our lives. I think as culture continues to tell us that we are the center of all things, becoming a member of something that's bigger than us seems less attractive or less interesting. And as we go forward into this chapter together, I want us to think about how to reclaim the we-ness of us, what Boca Raton Community Church is as a collective, because we don't oftentimes think of ourselves as a collective. This time of gathering, particularly in this place we choose on Sunday morning at 1030, is the only time that all of us come together at once. There's no other time in our our experiences, except for special services periodically, that all of us gather from birth all the way up to aging. We're all together in one big house. We're all together worshiping the Lord together. We're all together focusing on the things that bring honor to God. We're all working together to please the Lord. It's the only time that all of us are together. It's the only time that collectively we sing. And some of you may say, well, I would prefer not to sing. That's why I come in late. (laughs) But singing is part of the collective experience that we have as Christians. Historically, this is what we have done together. And so we carry on that tradition. We come and we sing together. And this is the only time that we do that at a large scale. A majority of our visitors come to the church through this time. This is when people know they can get to a church if they need to. It'll be open sometime on Sunday morning. Let's find the time. This is a great opportunity. It's the only opportunity for new people to join what we are doing here. And unfortunately for some, this is the only time that you've opened your Bible all week. That you haven't spent time anywhere else, but you come to church so that you can hear the Word. You come to church so that you can study. You come to church so that you can hear something from the preacher. This time needs to be reclaimed as the hub of what we do. 
It's not to say that I am the most important thing in what we do. I am not the most important thing in what we do. But the fact that we are together collectively every Sunday morning at this time in this place is something that we need to push back into the limelight as far as what we do as a church. I've always thought of Sunday morning as the recalibration for my life. This last week, whether it was good or bad, starts over now. This is the first moment of my week that I can tithe to the Lord and say, God, I'm giving you this and I'm reshaping my mind to start something new. So it is the culmination of everything that's happened during the week, but it's also the inauguration of something new. And it's the inauguration of a new week where we can step out in the newness of our life in Christ and commit to live faithfully and bring more honor and glory to our Father. We do need to be worshipers personally, but we need to figure out a way to reclaim this communal sense of worship as we come together and, and, and serve together each week. Let's look at our practice of worship, and this I want to turn back to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see a, the first picture of how the church existed together, and I reflect on these verses frequently throughout the week only because... Frankly, it makes me a little bit giddy. I just get really excited thinking about what church life would have been like in these days. If you remember, Jesus was on the earth. He died, resurrected, met with the disciples, was ascended to glory. He said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, filled them powerfully. The people were amazed. Many came to faith. And by this time, there are thousands, 3,000, Luke tells us, that are part of the church. Pick up with me uh, in verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So it went from 12 to 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to multitudes to many daily is the way that Luke describes it in these chapters. And they devoted themselves, what they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their word with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to four things, and this is our practice, and I want to see how these play out in our times together as a community in the years to come. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Let's look at each of them together. The first is instruction. They committed themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which has been the habit of Christians, well, believers from the beginning, but Christians since then. When we gather together, we read the word, we sing the word, we preach the word, we obey the word. The word of God is God's revelation to us. It's not that we're worshiping the word. It is the way God has chosen to reveal himself to us so that we might know him, so that we might follow him. When we gather together, we are focused on the word. We're reading it, we're singing it, we're preaching it, we're living it. When Pastor Clay and I work out the songs for the morning, we're, trying to, we're thinking intentionally about how they fit together. 
we're evaluating whether or not the songs are actually true. You know, there's a lot of really, really good songs out there that are total garbage, theologically. And they may sound nice, and they may stir our spirits, but they're wrong. They teach untruth. So we are evaluating those things. And Pastor Clay and I have had conversations even since I've been here that I'm like, well, I'm not sure I like the way that song sounds, not the, 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 the style. Clay is fantastic at, at style and, and presentation. But the messaging, I'm not sure, is right. And we've, we've hammered out some of those things together. Because the truth matters. What we sing matters. And you may be here today and you may say, you know, I don't really like that style. Consider just meditating on the words as if they're prayers. Maybe a way to get past that sense of, well, I don't like singing. You don't have to sing. But you certainly should participate in the life of the body. Because we're reading the word, we're singing the word, we're teaching the word, we're praying the word. During the time in history that I may want to have visited more than any other, certainly would love to visit first century Rome, I would love to have been alive when Israel was brought back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple with Ezra and Nehemiah and those great leaders that came back to reestablish or to try to reestablish the temple worship. But it's in that time period that Ezra is described as a man who, and I mentioned this several weeks ago, he, he read the word, he practiced it, and he taught it. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, it describes that there was a platform placed and Ezra would stand up and he would read the law and then he would explain it so that the people would understand it. Way back in those days, there was some sense of preaching where there was a reading of the text, there was an explanation of the text, then there was an application of the text as everybody went out. We want to carry that on because in the first century, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want to devote myself to studying the Word, practicing the Word, teaching the Word, so that we can all live the Word, because we want to be pleasing to God together. We're also going to commit ourselves, as they did, to fellowship, to connection. We're going to talk at length about this in the third element, which is relationship. But they were connected to each other. It's described in that passage in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, that they had all things in common, that they lived together in community. They knew each other. They were familiar with each other's needs and weaknesses, and they were helping. They were engaging with each other in connection. When we gather together, there ought to be a connection. If you come in and you sit down and no one talks to you and you leave and no one talks to you, we have failed. If you come on a Sunday morning and you only talk to the people you know without getting a sense of the crowd around you, you're missing out. Many times I will stand there and not sing, not because I don't like the song Pastor Clay has put in the service, but sometimes I don't want to sing because I just want to hear you. And sometimes I turn around and watch, not because I'm a freak, it's because I want to see you. I want to sing we. I want to sing us. I want to sing together. I want to see the body. I want to hear the voices. I want to be together in this. Why? Because the connection piece of this time is special. And it's the only time we get it all week long. Instruction is important. Connection is vital. The writer of Hebrews again says that we ought not forsake the assembling together. Now, we may say, well, groups are really where I assemble. I would challenge you and say, think bigger. Groups are vital, yes. But gathering as a community where you're able to learn in multiple age uh, 
generation groups and uh, with, with people you normally wouldn't interact with. There's so much power in that connection. And we ought to make the most of engaging and interacting with each other in this setting. Third, celebration. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, there's some references throughout the book of Acts that speak that maybe, or talk about maybe breaking of bread, meaning just having meals together. I tend to think that it's a reference to communion. I think as the church gathers, the ordinances are an important part because this is the only time that we're celebrating those things together. I mentioned it last week that our shut-ins, they don't get a chance to celebrate communion together. Those who are online that can't get here physically, they don't celebrate communion. Does that bother anybody? It bothers me. Why? Because communion is one of the pictures God has given us to celebrate together as a body. Baptism is another. Child dedications, not as high on the list, but certainly on the list. Incorporating new members into our body, ordaining new pastors and elders, celebrating weddings. All of these are communal activities that the body ought to see as very, very valuable. And when we come to worship, we ought to practice these things as a regular course of habit. Lastly, intercession. They were committed. They were devoted to the prayers. We do have a prayer team every week afterwards. I do want to incorporate more prayer into the middle of our service. I want us to be a praying people. I want us to be thinking, not just, uh, not, not just I want to go to church so I can pray. I want us to be people who are praying And as we come together, we are praying together. I want us to be people who are regularly communicating with the Father in every context. But certainly as we come together as a people, we ought to be praying. We've looked at the priority of worship. We've looked at some of the particulars personally and communally. We've looked at our practice based on Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But I want to look at a couple couple problems, a few problems with our worship. And I'm not talking about, I'm not critically analyzing what we do here on a Sunday morning. What I want to think about is some problems that you and I have that get in the way of our true worship. First is self-centeredness. We live in a culture that screams out that you are the most important thing in the world, that somehow the sun has shifted out of the center of the universe or the, the solar system, and you are standing in the middle, and everything cycles around you. And if we're not careful, we allow ourselves to think that we are the center of the universe, that everything is to our satisfaction or should be. Everything is done so that we feel comfortable being in the center of the orbit. Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy and says, in the last days, people will be lovers of self. And I think we've gone past lovers of self to be self-centered, which I think is even more dangerous. Because when I'm self-centered, I assume that everything is about me, and I assume that everybody is speaking to me, and they should submit to me rather than me submitting to others. I think it's E.M. Bounds that writes in one of his books on prayer that praying together in a group is one of the most selfless things we can do because we force ourselves to pray somebody else's prayers. Have you ever thought about that when you're praying and somebody's praying and you're thinking, why are they praying that? Shouldn't they be praying this? Or why would they use that word? 
Or am I the only one that does that? Or can't they just be quiet so I can get my prayer in? Because my prayer is super important. But in the discipline of prayer in a group, you are forcing yourself to tell yourself to be quiet, and you're actually praying the words of somebody else. When we are singing songs together, you are not singing songs that you necessarily like. You are singing somebody else's words as if they're your own. When we're doing something collectively, we are breaking out of self-centeredness. And we are, beginning, we are connecting ourselves with something that is much, much larger. In this communal gathering, this gathering of community, we have to be other submissive. We have to yield ourselves for the sake of others. And not just do it out of drudgery, but do it joyfully. And that's a challenge for us when we come in each week. Are we coming in thinking that I am the center? Are we coming in thinking, what can I participate in? Let us be people who are not bogged down by the self-centeredness that we often carry with us. But let us come and worship the Lord with a, an openness to what God might be doing. The second problem that we sometimes face is busyness. Jan and I were just visiting a group this week, and we were talking about this idea of engagement in worship. And how is it that people aren't engaged sometimes? They just seem disconnected and disinterested. Sometimes it's because they're self-centered. Sometimes it's because they're too busy. They're either too busy to get here on Sunday morning, or they're too busy while they're here to actually think about what we're doing in this room. They're thinking about everything else that's circulating around their head. And if we're not careful, we could very easily become so distracted by all these things that we aren't even able to pause and worship. How can we change that thinking so that, yes, we put the, the gathering of the church as a priority in our schedule, and we also block out everything that may distract us when we're sitting here so that we're thinking about what's happening and not what we need to do afterwards? I don't want you to take that I'm harping on us. Because I can, even now, as I'm speaking this message about busyness, I can be thinking about the things I have to do next week, the things that are on my mind. And I've got to block out all of these things in the same way. Why? Because I sometimes think I'm the center of the universe. The third, consumer mindset, mindedness. Is there a place that you can go that you are not told by someone that you need something you don't have? The reality is everywhere you turn, somebody is saying, you have a need and I have the solution. And if you just buy this or subscribe to this or download this or do this, you will be satisfied in your needs. And sometimes because we have that constant droning message over and over and over, we come in here thinking, I am coming to get something out of the service. I need to get something out of the song. I need to get something out of the sermon. I need to get something out of... Connection Center. I need to get something out of the people that are sitting next to me. I need to get, I need to get. And we begin thinking that this church is all about your likes and dislikes. And granted, we all have likes and dislikes. I get it. We all come with different expectations. But when did your liking it become the determining factor in worship? Honestly, it does not matter if you like the song. Are the words driving you to a deeper sense of God-likeness, Christ-likeness? The message of the word, is it coming to you in a way that's landing on your spirit? It's not a matter of liking. 
It's a matter of submitting ourselves to something that's bigger than us and seeing what God does with it. The last is a sense of hard-heartedness. There are a number of passages in the Bible that I would love to just rip out. Isaiah chapter 59 is one of them. The prophet writes, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. It's not that he cannot hear. He does not hear because at times our iniquities block us off from him. Solomon writes in the Proverbs that he who does not listen to the law, even his prayers are an abomination. Now, abomination doesn't sound, it sounds like a dirty word. Abomination is not a good word, and it's certainly not the word that we want describing our prayers. But Solomon says that the one who ignores God's law, his, prayer are, his prayers are an abomination. So hard-heartedness is a problem that we have. At times we come into this place, we come to the Lord with just rottenness on our souls. Because we have not confessed, we have not turned, we have not changed, we have not softened ourselves. And we bear hard-heartedness into this place. Even though we know it might be a good place to come, our hearts are hard. And if our hearts are hard, it's not that God cannot hear. It's that God does not hear. That's a scary proposition. And I think you said, well, isn't God a God of love and always embracing and always reaching and he's knocking persistently at the door of our hearts? The Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. His ear is not so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God so that he does not hear. We need to deal with hard-heartedness if that's a problem of ours. It doesn't matter how earnestly you're singing or how faithfully you're praying or how valiantly you're studying the word and keeping up with your readings. If your heart is heart, all of that is a moot point until your heart is softened. And we need to pray, God, soften us. Make us like you. Because fundamentally, we are here to glorify God. Fundamentally, we are here to do not what pleases us, but what pleases him. Because we are pleasing God together. It's the element of worship. And so what's your plan? And I want to leave each of these messages with this question. What is the one adjustment you will make today? Is that a different song? Different one? Yes. What practical step will you take today? What practical step will you take today to prioritize the element of worship in your walk with Christ? Let's think about that for a second as we pray. God, I thank you for I thank you for a lot. I thank you for life. I thank you for creation. I thank you for this body. I thank you for this community. 
thankful, Father, that we can come and we can gather and we can learn from each other and be challenged by each other. We can worship. We can hear voices. We can see worshiping happen. We can experience all of this, Father, because of the blood of Christ. I thank you, Lord, so much that you have given us life. I thank you that you've allowed us to come into your presence without fear. God, there may be people here this morning that are realizing that they have come to this place today or every week with just the wrong perspective, and they need to make some changes right now. They feel it. They know it. Something kind of rested on them in a way that they weren't expecting. I pray, God, that you would just break through that hardness and you would soften them and that you would bring them to a place to see you. That they would take a moment, maybe right now, maybe it's after as they come forward and pray with someone who will be up front. Maybe it's talking with the person next to them. I pray, God, that we would each take action to do something that uh, lifts up the element of worship in our lives. And maybe it's that we need to make worship more fundamental, that we need to push it down. It needs to be lower like a foundation in our lives. God, I know I need you. God, we need you. We need you to work in us. We need you to change us. We need you to make make us like Christ. We want to be pleasing to you. Pray that you'd answer our prayers on this, Lord God. And that this week we would even see Opportunities. We would see examples of people seeing you in us. That we might see this community, this country, and this world changed with the living truth of the gospel of Christ. And we pray that in, his son, in your son's precious name. Amen.